Brady. This is Club Hell. Thanks for coming, kids. Hey, Hello. This is Notes from the Back Row. A cinema podcast of commentary, questions, answers, dreams, fears, joy rides, hell rides, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Greetings and welcome to episode three of Notes from the Back Row, an alternative movie podcast brought to you by a bunch of weirdos. Thanks for tuning in. If you have not heard our first and second episode, you can do so at back-row.com. Our first episode is a really great roundtable discussion about Jeff Goldblum and some of his work. And our second episode is a bit of a potpourri of different segments, one from each host, Uh, There's some talk about giallos, some talk about B-horror movies, and uh, it's really, really great. So you can check that out at back-row.com, where you can also check out wonderful essays and articles by the people who work here on this podcast as well. Carlo Vansevoud has an article right now about Steven Seagal and whether or not he is an alien. Uh, Veronica Delginko has a great article about Rob Zombie's 31 called I Watched It So You Don't Have To, and there's lots more where that came from. Today on the podcast, we have a theme, as you noticed in the title of this episode, heist o rama rama my favorite time of year. All of our segments today are based on heists, so we are going to get to those right now. We're going to start with my segment, which is about unconventional heist films. Hello and welcome to my segment of our Heisto Rama Rama. And I am going to be offering you listeners up a double feature of sorts, and it is of unconventional heists. And in order to start off my segment on unconventional heists, I thought it would make a bit of sense just to do a super quick recap on the heist film in general. Webster's Dictionary defines the heist film as... Just kidding, I'm not actually going to do that kind of a definition, but anyway, the heist film, a subgenre of crime films, as Wikipedia tells me, generally focuses on the planning and execution of some kind of theft, some kind of stolen jewels, or some kind of breaking and entering into a bank, and it, I think puts so much focus on that planning and execution that one of the elements in my mind that make the heist film so interesting is that it almost becomes a kind of hangout film where you're spending so much time with the planning um, that you're getting to know these people, you're getting to understand them as people so that when it becomes a very twisty, you know, double, triple crossing, rug pull kind of a movie, it is that much more interesting, that much more entertaining. Now, the movies that I am going to talk about today, 
um, I do believe are films that fall into the heist film subgenre, but they twist the kind of classic structure of these films in such a way that I find them a little bit interesting. I'm not going to go out there and say that these are the best movies in the world, but I think there is merit to both of these films um, in, in very different ways. First film that I'm going to talk about today is from 1976 and is called Special Delivery. How long has it been since you really enjoyed yourself? <laughs> Maybe you need a special delivery to turn you on. We did it for the money. <laughs> Sybil Shepherd, that taxi driver girl. Okay, fellas. And Bo Svensson, the six foot six inch star of Walking Tall Part Two, come together in special delivery. You don't think I'm trying to pick you up, do you? Yep. Well, you're right. Unfortunately, your special delivery may be postmarked danger. Special delivery, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Special delivery is directed by Paul Wenkos and stars Bo Svensson and Sybil Shepard and features some supporting work by Garrett Graham, who I'm always happy to see, but the Chud represent, and Jeff Goldblum, um, I will pause for cheering uh, from the fans of you of our first episode where we talked about Jeff Goldblum. Now, this movie, I guess I won't say so. I almost said subverts the, you know, the trope of the heist film. But I will say this movie, instead of having all of that character development before the heist, as I mentioned earlier on, before I threw to the trailer of this uh, of this particular film, it begins the movie basically directly in the action of the heist a bank robbery and a gang of thieves are executing this bank robbery right away um and so the film opens with their escape they are running across the rooftops of los angeles the police are on their way they're chasing them and the main character murdoch played by bo svensson um is the only one who gets away while he is getting away, he has to dump the money that they have all stolen into a mailbox. And so instead of the film in the realm of the heist genre being about now we have to plan, you know, a new heist, it becomes this hangout movie in a sort of different sense where Bo Svensson is trying to keep his eyes on this mailbox because um, that's where all the money is. People who have witnessed the the chaotic nature of this original heist now have seen him drop the money into the mailbox and have their eyes on it um, he runs afoul of Sybil Shepherd. maybe there's going to be some romantic stuff there but she knows that that's what he's doing and he's kind of trying to hold it close to his vest and it becomes a sort of tense fun lightly comedic uh, late 70s film about all of these people who have their sights on the same mailbox um, so what it is successful in doing is i would say shuffling the the tropes of the of the heist genre so instead of the heist being later instead of getting all the stuff out of the way with them planning it at the beginning you know we open with the action um we segue into the kind of hangout picture um with them trying to figure out how they're going to get the mailbox and get the cash um and then sort of goes to an exciting finale from there it does threaten to get bogged down with a romance between uh, Bo Svensson and Sybil Shepard. But uh, Shepard has this really kind of sarcastic performance uh, that she 
uses to pull the whole picture together. It's it's that energy that really gets you through some of the moments where uh, this kind of movie could go down in flames a little bit. Um, the stuff with Garrett Graham and Jeff Goldblum, they're these punks who are causing all these problems in the neighborhood. And, you know, Jeff Goldblum, it's an early... Uh, appearance for him so he still is kind of coasting off that almost dangerous appeal where he's maybe gonna assault civil shepherd in one scene and that stuff is a little bit like okay this is what it is um and it's nice to see them in this movie but it, it's a little bit of a sort of sidetrack the director paul wenkos i mentioned earlier he worked in television a lot um, but surprisingly, this strikes a little bit of a balance between that kind of television locked down style of the 70s. I always get worried when television directors um, are doing these kinds of feature films because you never know if they're going to uh, bring something interesting or if it's going to look like a kind of drab 70s television show. Um, but there's some interesting handheld and experimental shots kind of going in here with some of the editing in particular so in one way that this movie is able to get around the tropes of that opening planning in and character development is it uses that heist with cross cuts back to vietnam to fill in our crew's backstory you know it's almost ticking the boxes on these characters while also moving the plot along which is really interesting and actually um, a really entertaining way to keep up the pace but also be learning each of these characters, who they are, what they were like during the Vietnam War, how they all got together and decided to do this heist. It's almost like a like a, a Cole's notes of your typical heist opening, um, which is great. Um, and the score by Lalo Schifrin is amazing. So good. Um, so this is a pretty fun and charming movie. I think it's worth checking out. It's not going to bowl you over. It's a good weekend pick. Um, so Special Delivery from 1976 is my first of two unconventional heist films. Our second movie in this double feature is a doozy, Beyond the Seventh Door from 1987. Welcome to my chambers of terror, whoever you are. But of course, I know what you are. Are a thief, a burglar who has trespassed on my property to steal my famous treasure. So go ahead, get it. That's crazy. You can now try to open the next door to continue on, or you may stay where you are and die peacefully. directed by Bozidar de Benedict. This is a Canadian film, very close to my heart. Um, it stars Lazar Rockwood uh, and Bonnie Beck, as well as Ben Kerr and Gary Friedman. Um, and it is so good. <laughs> in I don't know how to explain it. Maybe good in quotes. Um, but I love, love, love this movie. It is outsider cinema in a way that I think listeners of this show will probably enjoy it is about an ex-con who comes out of jail and his girlfriend decides to um ask him to rob a castle which is toronto's casaloma 
um, which is always awesome to see as somebody that lives in Toronto. This movie is shot all in Toronto, and it's so fascinating to me. Um, but the way that this fits into the unconventional heist genre, in my opinion, is it's kind of a reverse... It's, I almost want to say it's a reverse siege film, but it's not really so... Basically, the gist of what happens is they break in to this castle and are immediately trapped. They get locked in, and it becomes a almost uh, proto-cube escape movie where they are trying to get through these puzzle-filled rooms uh, without dying and still get the money at the end. Um, they're still So they're still kind of treating this as a heist. They need to get through these doors, these rooms, in order to get their prize without dying. Um, now, Lazar Rockwood's performance in this film is one of the great non-performances. It is so out there and entertaining. I don't like it. I don't like it at all! Stop it, Randy! Stop right now! It's just phenomenal. Um, and let me be completely open and honest here. This isn't a movie that I find, oh, hilarious to laugh at. Um, it is certainly funny for reasons that the movie does not want to be. But the thing that I love about this kind of movie is it is such a grassroots production, such a sort of labor of love of the people involved, that even though it's not a quality film, even though it fails in certain regards, in, including acting, it becomes so entertaining and so um, endearing just to watch. Chud Buddy and co-host of Notes from the Black Row, Carlo, reviewed this and really enjoyed it. He said it was a perfect little nugget of Z-grade high-concept nonsense. And I often um, say that this film has a bit of that kind of shot-on-video level of dreamy weirdness. So there's a scene of unscrewing this uh, screw of some kind of grate on the wall, and they just hold on unscrewing this screw for ever it is just ridiculous and you under you don't understand what was going on in their minds then you also get scenes like um the two main characters are going to have sex and so it fades out on a shot of a dead guy who is slumped in the corner i guess watching them have sex just like okay we'll fade out on this you know super romantic but i do believe that it is kind of an interesting twist on the heist film it, it it involves the planning of the heist it involves the you know hey i have this really interesting idea i have this really you know foolproof plan to break into casa loma and steal the the money inside that my my boss is this rich man he'll never know um and it also includes some rug pulling double cross style twists so it includes these sort of tropes of the genre but also for many other reasons is just so bizarre and entertaining and head scratching um, I can't help but recommend it and hope that people check this Canadian uh, bizarre little nugget out. Um, and there is a DVD. I was lucky enough uh, to be able to sit in and help record the commentary for that disc from Intervision. And uh, so I hope everybody would check that out. It is fascinating. You'll learn so much listening to the commentary. It's a must-see for anyone that likes the bizarre wild side of, uh, of cinema. All right. That is our double feature of unconventional, let's say, heist films. Beyond the Seventh Door from 1987 and Special Delivery from 1976. 
Um, and so I am Dan Gorman, and thank you for listening to my segment of our Heisto Rama Rama. And I'll throw you back to our host and other segments. Thank you. And now Veronica will take us through another double feature of heists in our Heisto Rama Rama with one underseen film and one that you might remember from the 90s. It's Heist Week here at Backrow, a genre that I, for one, really, really love. There are a plethora of heist movies beyond just the Oceans series, I guess, or even something like Heat, even these movies that are are great, but are still fairly formulaic, still have uh, a certain level of stockness to their characters, if that's a phrase. It is now. I'm using it. There are these heist movies like Sexy Beast uh, that really are are very character-driven and have these unusual turns of plot, unusual motivations for characters, oftentimes not just as simplistic as needing money or wanting money, being drawn into things that they're trying to get away from. There are so many great heist movies out there with so many different types of characters and people and everything, but today I'm going to focus on two starting with one from 2005 called The Aura. But when an innocent hunting trip turns deadly, tragedy becomes opportunity. And his ultimate fantasy will become a dangerous reality. It is an Argentinian movie. Really, it's very haunting. It's fairly slow moving. So if you're telling people to go see it and you say something about it being a heist movie, maybe specify (laughs) that it's not, you're not going in to see heat. You're not going in to see something as flashy and splashy and fun as any of the Oceans movies. You're going into something that's a little bit slower and a little bit more of a thinker and a little bit more intense, but what is so amazing about this movie is that it is almost entirely character-driven. It sort of focuses around the character Esteban Espinosa, played by Ricardo Darin, who some of you might know from the movie Wild Tales. He is in one of those shorts as well. He's the guy who becomes sort of like a a domestic terrorist because of parking tickets. Never mind. (laughs) If you've never seen Wild Tales, that sounds crazy. You should see Wild Tales as well. So in the aura, uh, Ricardo Darren plays Esteban Espinoza, and he is not really a criminal. He's just someone who's insanely smart. He has this just spot-on photographic memory. He can remember everything he sees. He can remember, even if it's a page of words, he can remember whatever's on it. And he doesn't really... He's almost like the main villain in The Vanishing, where he's someone who's, like, fairly normal, fairly boring, and just wonders if he can pull off what a criminal would do. He wonders if he can get away with things, because maybe he's smarter than other criminals. Maybe he's faster than other criminals. He thinks the cops are too dumb. He thinks criminals get caught because they get sloppy. So he actually involves himself in a scheme, 
and tries to follow it out to the end. What I love about this movie is that it it's truly about hubris. It's truly about someone who brings around their own downfall because they think they've got it all figured out. I was actually lucky enough to see this movie when it screened at the Castro along with Sexy Beast, actually, and I thought they were very well paired because they are heist movies that are primarily character dramas, and heist stuff just is kind of happening around them. So if you have a chance, check out The Aura. It is a little bit difficult to find because I think it was even a sleeper in its own country, but really a very spectacular movie. On to the second one, which is a little bit lighter uh, and probably a little bit more familiar to some of you, especially if those of you in the American audience. We have Sugar and Spice from 2001. I have an announcement to make. We're getting married. When the new couple is short on cash. Why don't you just have your parents give you the money? We are two young, able-bodied Americans. We're not looking for a handout. We're looking for a hand up. Sorry. The A Squad's ready to rally. The Beatles were wrong. Love isn't all you need. No matter what it takes. I know. What? A bank robbery. I'm in. Yes. <laughs> we're going to learn how to rob a bank by people who really know how to do it. Criminals. I'm going to visit my mom. This is like you asking me for help with your homework. And this is sort of a sister movie to Point Break. This is a... Uh, quasi-true story. It was uh, apparently based, loosely based, on the uh, a series of robberies that happened in 1999 that were undertaken by four teenage girls. So Sugar and Spice is about a cheerleading squad that starts robbing banks in order to help their pregnant cheerleading friend and her soon-to-be husbandy boyfriend type who also, you know, who got her pregnant. It is, they wear these ridiculous baby doll masks and, you know, uh, they they work their cheerleading magic into their heist, you know, because they know gymnastics and they can, so they're robbing all these banks while still being teenage girls, teenage girls that are cheerleaders, so they have all their, like, ah, like, totally, but so it does wind up being a very sort of weird, funny kind of movie. It came out after Bring It On. It came out around the same time as But I'm a Cheerleader. It kind of came out on the tail end of these cheerleading, this cheerleading wave that was going on in the 90s, I guess, or just at the end of the 90s. So it is definitely a sillier heist movie and not nearly as involved or cerebral as something like the aura, but it is kind of a good, uh, you know, pairing because it still has everything that you would expect from a bank robbing heist movie with a little bit more sort of goofy comedy alongside it. I will say as a bit of a disclaimer uh, that I watched this movie a couple of years ago when I was going through a lot of 90s movies, 90s meaning anything pre 9-11, uh, what, you know, I sort of track things by the change in the political climate as opposed to strictly by years. So September 11th happened in 2001. Anything before that is like 90s. Uh, everything after that is like, oh, it's a post 9-11 world. It's kind of a different feel entirely. But with when I rewatched this, 
I do have to say there was some humor that I think even in, you know, an 18 year difference feels very dated, very weird, some homophobic humor, some racist humor towards Asians where you don't understand why that's not it's awkward when people say it. It doesn't seem like it was ever funny. It doesn't sound like jokes. Just one character freaking out because she thinks her mom might be a lesbian in jail. It's very, there are moments where you're like, what the hell? Like, who wrote that? Was that funny? Did test audiences like that? But other than that, it has a cast that was sort of up and coming. A lot of familiar faces that you'll see for the next 15 years or so. Uh, People who, you know, definitely use this as their breakout movie. So while it's not the dense, brooding subject matter of the aura, or even as uh, sort of charged and over-the-top as Point Break, Sugar and Spice certainly holds its own in the heist movie world, especially since I can't think of any others with cheerleaders, to be perfectly honest. If anyone else knows, let me know. But... I can only think of one heist movie with cheerleaders, and that's Sugar and Spice. And from here, we move on to Jenna, who presents a film that I know the name of because of an album I love more than the movie itself. And I can't wait to hear all about The Hot Rock. Something we don't often see in heist movies is true failure. Of course, in most heist films, there's plenty of close calls that keep the tension moving, but out-and-out failure is a little more rare. That's one of the aspects of 1972's The Hot Rock that makes it so endearing. Directed by Peter Yates, The Hot Rock is a charming heist film that starts out pretty same-samey as far as slick white guys trying to steal something expensive goes, and then sort of unravels as they need to deal with various mistakes that they make along the way. There's a guaranteed return, and that's good. But the guarantor is a Musa, and a Musa is a rookie, and that's bad. Sure, you've driven one of these things before, right? <clears throat> I don't want to know the answer, neither does he. It's the wrong route! The film starts with John Dortmunder, played by Robert Redford, getting out of jail and being approached by his brother-in-law, Andy, who's played by George Siegel, on just doing one more job. A certain Dr. Amusa, played by Moses Gunn, is looking for some men to break into the Brooklyn Museum and steal back a valuable and significant diamond that was initially stolen in colonial times from his people in Africa. Already a pretty wholesome plot. But why do we have to give it to this Amusa? It sounds like it's worth more than 100000 uh, One little problem is that Amusa knows who me and Dortmund are on. And since the stone is this big symbolic thing, I'm not all that anxious to have an entire African nation after my ass, if you don't mind. Blow guns and poison arrows, no thanks. I think they're a little more modern now, Andrew. Is that supposed to make me feel better? Tommy guns and airplanes. <laughs> After an initial back and forth, John and Andy recruit Stan, played by Ron Liebman, who's a driver, whose passion for cars and slightly manic energy reminded me of Jerry Reed's Cletus and Smokey and the Bandit. They also recruit an explosives expert named Alan, who's played by Paul Sand of Second City Film. 
Uh, I picked this up at Berkeley. Sir, bombs. The bombs in the street, sir. It's a revolution. There are several twists and turns in this film, and the more it moves along, the more low-key surreal it gets. You get everything from car chases to helicopter police station breakouts to fake car accidents, huge explosions, elevator shaft interrogations, and even hypnotic triggers. When this man says to you the words, Afghanistan Bananistan, you will do exactly what he tells you to do. Do you understand this? I will do exactly what he tells me to do. That is fine. Very good. You see how peaceful you feel by following my suggestions. But the majority of the tension and the levity in this film happens after those guys are just one minute too slow and then need to scramble to figure out what to do from there. When they go to break into the museum... They developed this elaborate plan of distraction, but they didn't seem to count on the fact that the glass case around the diamond was so goddamn heavy. I can't hold it. What? I can't hold it. I can't hold it. Or when one member of the team makes the mistake of telling his dad about this plot and the father immediately takes it upon himself to double cross them and profit for himself. I took the diamond. You think I'd cross my own son? That or you're in it together? Come on. What? No! No, Jason! No, Eddie! I just told you where it was, Eddie, please! No, make him believe that, please! I'm sorry. I just don't think you can do it. We'll throw him down. And you right after. We get teased so often in heist movies with the possibility of something going wrong, not to mention multiple long scenes of them explaining the elaborate plot that we're all about to see anyhow, that it's actually refreshingly fun at this point to watch main characters hit a real snag and then see how they manage to get around it by thinking on their feet for once. Mr. Clan? No. On that one, we don't get the diamond. You got one when we do get it? Who's this one? Well, let's work on this one. The only trouble is we also get caught. Can't you refine it? We'll see how. I would have been here sooner. But when I took Pennsylvania to the Interboro and then Woodhaven to Queens Boulevard to the bridge, Con Ed was digging a damn hole at the intersection. Stan, we got troubles of our own. You think I don't know? 53rd Street's one way, Park Avenue traffic is murder, and the lights is all set wrong. So you can forget about your getaway. Jeez. It's like God was telling us to go straight. This type of digression helps drive the plot into weird and enjoyable places that I don't think your run-of-the-mill Oceans remake would bother diverting for. There's also a great group dynamic that develops, which is just a total joy to watch. A mix of great casting and a script that never takes itself too seriously. The final seconds of the film are just straight-up adorable. I won't spoil it, but it's just really cute. There's a freeze frame. It's great. So, all in all, it's an underappreciated heist film that is totally worth your time. You should seek it out. The Hot Rock, directed by Peter Yates. I just love this. I know that.
And finally, of course, Carlo is taking us straight up into space for a look at maybe our silliest movie of the week. Take it away, Carlo. Okay, so Carlo here, and apparently we're doing heist movies. And to coincide with my ongoing team of picking movies that have less than 1k views on Letterboxd, I pick one that is not just a heist movie, but more than that it is a Die Hard clone. So when John McTiernan's Die Hard came out in the late 80s, there were a lot of movies that wanted to make bank on its immense popularity. Uh, some were more successful than others. Uh, ones that come to mind that managed to catch some of its shine are Under Siege, which is Die Hard on a Boat with Steven Seagal. Uh, there's Cliffhanger, which is Die Hard with Rock Climbing and Sylvester Stallone. Somewhat lesser known is a little movie called Toy Soldiers, uh, which is Die Hard at a School with Will Wheaton and Sean Astin. Uh, which actually has its own little ripoff called Demolition High with Corey Haim, directed by notorious trash peddler Jim Wynorski. One funny thing about that particular movie is a line that stuck with me that goes, Damn, I shouldn't have bought that second milk. I don't know how that never became as popular as Yippie Kaye motherfucker, but there's a lot of things I don't understand about movies as you will see. And of course Peter Himes' Sudden Death with my man from Belgium, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, so yeah, as you can tell, pretty much every big and not-so-big action star has their own little stab at the die-hard formula. One of the not-so-big action stars uh, was Michael Dudikoff. So Michael Dudikoff's claim to fame was mostly rooted in his stint in the American Ninja franchise, copyright canon films. Uh, by the time the 90s came rolling around, action movies were in a sort of purgatory between either being extremely low budget and straight to VHS or your blockbuster star vehicle such as Speed, which is die hard on a bus that couldn't slow down. Uh, one such low budget straight to VHS piece of shit that I enjoyed for obvious reasons is Cyberjack aka Virtual Assassin. Cyberjack, the latest in high technology and they want it. A world of computers now controlled by the will of one man. Starring Michael Dudikoff as Nick James. Brian James as Nassim. Suki Kaiser as Alex. And John Cuthbert as Devon. Officer James. Welcome back. Cybercheck. High-tech thieves of the future. Coming soon. Uh, of course, starring Michael Dudikoff, and I'm sure a very in-character performance by Brian James. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell, I don't necessarily blame you, but then his face is so distinct and his resume so enormous that I'm sure you've seen him in something. Uh, his most known role is Leon Kowalski, which is the character that is the replicant Spoiler alert, that gets questioned in the opening minutes of Blade Runner. Uh, so anyway, Cyberjack is what I like to call a computer-generated diehard clone. The plot summary, and I'm reading this directly from Letterboxd, because fuck if I remember the details, uh, goes as follows. In the near future, Nassim, a terrorist leader, 
storms a computer company headquarters. His aim is a deadly computer virus that could bring him world domination. Nick James, company janitor and ex-police officer, will get in his way. So yeah, that's a brilliant piece of writing, but just about what this movie deserves. I want to point out again that Dudikoff's character in this is called Nick James. Nick fucking James. Look, the fact that he never once says, I'm Nick James, bitch, it's a crime against humanity, that I'll gladly overlook. Uh, moving on, so it being the 90s and all, mid-90s specifically, uh, computer effects were like the hottest and most undeveloped piece of black magic that Hollywood had gotten their hands on. So you better believe there's a ton of CG hemorrhoids floating around this film. You're not watching Cyberjack for the plot. You're watching it because you can see the alcohol fumes wafting from Dudikoff as he's watching a virtual reality girl do a sexy striptease. Uh, while the building he's supposed to be guarding is in the middle of a hostile takeover by Brian James. Who looks like the love child of 2018 Dolly Parton and Expendable Stallone. So yeah, based on that and the kind of person you are, I've managed to either pique your interest or make you skip to the next segment in this podcast. Heck, if I'm being totally honest, uh, this movie is pretty hard to recommend even for me, despite the fact that I liked it. I'm totally willing to admit I watched this shit on YouTube, and for reasons I've stated before, it just made me chuckle. So there you have it, and there you can leave it. Peace out. And that is the end of our heist o rama rama As always, you can find us at back-row.com where there are plenty of articles for you to continue to read and love. And you can find our podcast episodes there as well. You can follow us on Twitter at backrowcineblog, which is coincidentally also the name backrowcineblog on Facebook as well as backrowcineblog on Instagram. You can also email us at backrowcineblog at gmail.com. And I think that's about it. So remember to subscribe, rate us on iTunes, all that podcast ending jazz. And we will see you in another two weeks or so. Thank you. Uh, My name is Dan Gorman. I've been the projectionist for this episode of Notes from the Back Row. And enjoy those heist films. Goodbye. Goodbye.